Hi, good morning. Good to see everybody here at our main campus. Welcome to you guys that are joining us online. So a couple announcements that I have to give you before we get started. So just as a reminder, um, when we do events here at Life Church, you know, there's always a purpose behind them. Uh, we've talked about this for a long time. Like we don't want to just do stuff so we can be busy, right? We don't want to just do stuff so we can spend money. We don't want to do stuff so we just have people volunteering all the time. So behind every event that we do, there is a purpose, right? And it's the purpose is, you know, different in each one of them, but the same, meaning that we're trying to provide opportunities for relationship first and foremost, right? We want to be able to provide opportunities for people to come, build relationships, get to know people, because um, if you understand the reality of life churches, how do you get to know anybody in the chaos of coming in and out and trying to figure out how to, you know, find a seat and be able to talk to people? Like, you don't really get it done, but at events, you get an opportunity to get to know people. You have an opportunity to grow a deeper relationship, and we have an opportunity to serve our community, right? That's the other part. Every event that we do is a representation of the best of our ability for us to show the love of Christ to a community that's watching, right? So we have a couple things coming up. The first one is the Rhett Walker concert, um, and you guys will be able to see there on, on the posters, but the Rhett Walker concert is June the 18th at 6.30 here at Life Church. So if you want tickets, you can get tickets a couple different ways. One is to go on our website. So you can go on our website and be able to get tickets from there. You can also go on Eventbrite. That's another way that you can get the tickets. And or if you go up to the poster, there's a QR code. If you scan it, um, it will take you to a place where you can buy tickets. It's $15 uh, to be able to do that. And again, thinking about not only is it great to come and to be able to listen to music, but an also an opportunity to maybe to connect with other people from um, our community. The other thing is, is we need volunteers. Volunteers, right? So uh, volunteers helping in many different ways. And so if you want to sign up, you can sign up as a volunteer for the Rhett Walker concert by either going on our app, like that's one way that you can sign up. Is that right? I think I, I thought I said it wrong. Yeah, you can go on, you can uh, do it on the app and or if you go out to uh, where the poster is, there'll be somebody out there that can put you on a sign-up sheet and then they'll get a hold of you and say like, here's all the things that you can do and here's the opportunities for you to be able to serve and you can pick whichever one works best for you. Okay, so Rhett Walker. The other thing is VBS. Uh, so for our kids this summer, there's gonna be a VBS and this is also uh, happening in July, so it'll be July 11th through the 15th, and it'll be from 9 to 12. So if you have kids and you want to sign them up, you can sign them up on the app. That's an opportunity for you to, to get your kids signed up. The other part of that is, is, you know, the vision behind this is not only for our own kids, but to be able to reach other kids in the community. And so we want other kids to be able to come and friends to be uh, inviting friends. But you can sign up on the app uh, to sign your own kids up. And then we also need volunteers, same concept. So we need people to come and to serve. Now, if you're afraid, because, you know, sometimes people don't sign up for children's ministry stuff because then they're thinking they're going to rope me into being in the nursery all the time, right? So it's not the case. Well, maybe it's not the case. You know, we always need lots of volunteers. No, it's really not the case. But here is the point, right? So we want to, again, part of what we said is we want to show the community that we love them by serving them and having kids come in. But we also want to get to know other parents, right? So part of the connection of serving 
with VBS is an opportunity for you to get to know the parents of other kids, and you can make connections uh, with those parents and be able to have a connection that you wouldn't have before. So to volunteer, you know, sign up, again, on the app, or go out to the table, and you'll be able to sign up. They'll have a sign-up sheet there for you to be able to get involved. Okay, so two things going on. Again, use those things to be able to further, you know, what God's doing in your life as opportunities to get to know more people, serve the community, and get to know, you know, and fulfill the purpose of which God has for you here at Life Church. All right, so if you remember, we're in the Revelation series. Now, it might seem somewhat confusing because I'm going to ter- tell you, turn to Matthew 24, right? So we're going to be looking at Matthew 24 today, but we're still in the Revelation series, and here's why. So in Matthew 24, we're going to see what's called the Olivet Discourse, and the Olivet Discourse parallels what was happening in Revelation 6, right? So what I want to be able to show you is in both of those places, right? Because when we're studying Revelations, here's the theme behind it. Like this is all stuff that's going to be happening in the future. So what do we do about it? Jesus was doing the same thing in Matthew 24. These are the, th- these are the things going to happen in the future. What should we do about it? And so the theme of all of it is, because we had some discussion last week, uh, some people asked me, so do you believe, and if you're not a church person, this isn't going to make any sense to you, so you can just not care about it, and we'll come back to it later, because it's really not that big a deal. But the idea is, people wanted to know, well, are we here for the rapture? You know, the seven years, because you remember the scroll, like you open up the scroll, and the scroll is the beginning of the end, right? So that was last week, if you didn't remember. Last week was, there's a scroll, on the scroll is seven seals. Each one of the seals is the beginning of the end, meaning when Jesus is going to come back, and all of this is going to be over, right? We all on the same page? Right, so Jesus came once to give you salvation. He's coming again to put an end to the world, right? The end of the world looks like this. People are going to have a chance to repent. If they don't repent, the reality is pretty clear. They're going to be thrown into the lake of fire. They're going to spend eternity in hell. For those who do repent or for those who are saved, they will spend eternity with Jesus, with God on a new earth. That's the end of the story, right? So that's the end of Revelation. So When the seals are being opened, it's opening up the beginning to the end, right? To the end of the world, to the end of it all. And inside of that, people have the question, will we be here? Will we be here in the beginning? Will we be here in the middle? Will we be here till the end? Like, there's a lot of those questions, and they're fun to talk about. And you can look at different scripture that will give you different ideas on each one of them, right? But what we're going to land on is what we feel like the biggest theme is, and that is if you're reading Revelation 6 or you're reading Matthew 24, the theme is the same. Are you ready? That's the theme, right? The theme is... Here are some signs. The question that you have to ask yourself is, are you ready for the end? Now, I said this a long time ago that um, when Cherry got diagnosed with BAP1, so BAP1 was a disease that can't be cured, you know, and we knew that when she was diagnosed with that disease, you know, that the reality of that, because we watched it happen in her dad's life, the reality of that is that God can do some miracles, but if he doesn't, it's leading to death, right? Like it's just gonna be going down that road. And so in that, this is what I've always said. Like, we always saw that as a gift. This is something that we talked about a lot as we saw that as a gift. And here was the reason. You could say you're living as if you don't have tomorrow, but how many people are living as if they don't have tomorrow? I mean, think about it, right? Until you don't think you have tomorrow, are you really living as if you don't have tomorrow? Right? You can say it, but it doesn't really set in until you're like, oh, there might not be a tomorrow, 
right? And so the thing that changed for us inside of that was to say, oh, well, because there's probably not gonna be a tomorrow, I should probably change what I do today. Does that make sense? And so for anybody that's been in this situation, so anybody that's got a diagnosis, anybody that's been around somebody that's got a diagnosis, anybody that has lost somebody suddenly, right? Here's a reality that you get. You might not get tomorrow, right? So you need to change what you do today so that you will be ready. Does that make sense, right? Like you gotta be able to be prepared. So with that in mind, the greatest thing about the Olivet Discourse, right? So the Revelation 6 was opening all the seals and we're going like, holy crap, right? Like this is a lot of stuff going on that's really crazy and we don't really know how it's gonna go and this is kind of a confusing time. Well, in the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24, he says some of the same things, but then he says, hey, if you got this question of like, how do I get ready? Because now I'm a little nervous that the end might be coming. You know what I mean? Like, now that you're talking about this, now that we're discussing this, now I'm starting to feel like maybe the end of the world is happening, right? Maybe some of the signs that we're seeing is happening, and you're sitting there saying, like, I want to be ready, but I don't really know how to get ready. Matthew 24 says, hey, let me help you get ready. Let me tell you some stories about people who were ready, right? So this is something we can learn from. Matthew 24, Olivet Discourse says, if you want to learn how to be ready and you want to learn from somebody, I'm going to tell you a story. So you can have no doubt that if you really want to know, I'm going to give you a picture of what it looks like. Does that make sense? Right? So I'll give you a picture. You could look at it and say, oh, that's what it means to look like get ready. But here's the other thing. There's a real stark reality that you can't miss. He also talks about people that aren't ready. Right? And I'll give you a little you know, fast forward to the end. People who aren't ready, like there isn't like, a second chance. If you aren't ready, you will spend eternity in hell. That's just the way it is. If you're not ready, if your loved ones aren't ready, you don't get a do-over, right? Like I used to tell my youth kids this all the time whenever I was a youth pastor in Monroe, because they were always like, well, if I really knew that it was close to the end, you know, I would just like, you know, get my life better. But if I don't get my life better, I'm sure that when I stand in front of God, I can convince him that I'm good. And I'm like, there ain't no convincing, right? You're going to be up there and they're going to pull that little lever and you're going right down the little chute, right? Because that's how you had to relate to the youth kids. Like they got that, right? Like pull the lever, that little slide going down to hell. That's where you're going. You can plead your case all you want. You don't get a second chance, right? So you need to be, or if you want to be ready, then you need to learn how to get ready, right? Because here's what you're going to learn. If you really want to be ready, that's for all of us in this room, he gives you a chance to understand this is what it looks like, and here's what we know. If you want to be ready, the actions of your life will say, I want to be ready. Because it's easy for every one of us in this room to say, I want to live as if there is no tomorrow, and I want to be ready for the end. But if the actions of your life do not change, all it is is words. Right? If the actions of your life do not dictate, then you really don't believe it because you do what you believe, right? So if you believe that the end is coming, then you will change the way that you operate your life. The question is, can you get in your mind, right? Because um, if you're older, like you've, you've come what, to somewhat of a belief in this is like the end is near, 
Because every time you wake up every day, you're like, holy crap. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the end is near. I'm older, like your body, the, you know what I mean? Like all of these things are happening. And you get somewhat weary of the world. Anybody? Like of just the things that are just like, ah. You know, and so it's coming to an end. Whether it's my life or Jesus coming back, you get that. But when you're younger, you're like, end of the world, <laughs> right? End of my life. Like you don't think about it that much. But what he's trying to get for all of us, let me prepare you for living as if, Today is your last day. Tomorrow is your last day, and the end is near. Because he believes that if we live that way, then here's what you can be guaranteed. You'll be ready for when your time is up, because everybody in this room has a time. When your time is up, you're going to be ready. Or when Jesus comes back, you're going to be ready. Now, that's something that we should want, right? For each one of us, we want to be ready. So let's go to Matthew 24, and let's read through this. And again, I'm going to give you a picture of how it parallels Revelation 6. Then we're going to get to the place of how do we get ready, and how do we prepare ourselves for the end. So Matthew 24, starting in verse 1, says this. Jesus left the temple and was walking away with his disciples. And came, as his disciples came up to him to call his attention to, the, to its buildings, do you see all of these things, he asked? Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will, be torn, everyone will be thrown down. Now just real quick, without going into great detail about this, the people that were looking at that temple at the time, it was somewhat of an engineering marvel on how this building actually was built because they would excavate stones that were so big in one piece move them to this place and build the temple. And when you would look at it, no machinery of our day would have been able to lift them and put them into place, right? Like that's the marvel of the engineering of whatever happened at that time, this building looked like it was indestructible. So when Jesus said, hey, you see this building or you see these buildings that look indestructible, they're all gonna be destroyed. They were like, holy cow, like something significant is going to happen. You need to tell us about what this means. And so that's what they go on and talk about. He says, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, this is verse 3, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when this will happen and what will be the sign of the coming of the end of the age, right? So now they're saying we're fascinated with the future. We see all these things coming like us. They're saying, tell us what the future will look like now. Here's where in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, he parallels what John says in Revelation 6, okay? So this is what we're going to get into where it parallels. So here's what he says in the beginning. So now here's the signs of the end of the age. This is what Jesus is saying to his disciples, Jesus answered, watch out. Well, why should they watch out? That no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming what? That I am the Messiah, right? And how many people is he going to deceive? Many, right? Because here's the thing that you need to start thinking about. Two things in this, right? So this parallels Revelation 6. The first horse is the white horse, and when the white horse rides in, the white horse represents the... Antichrist, right? The Antichrist says he's going to come bent on conquest. The greatest conquest of the Antichrist is to do what? Lead people away from Christ, right? How many people are going to be led away from Christ? It was said in Revelation 6, said throughout Scripture. Jesus reiterates it again right here. How many people are going to be deceived? Many, right? And here's why, just real quick. Talking back to what we talked about before. 
The reason that so many people are going to be led astray is they grew up believing in a false Messiah, and the false Messiah will be very attractive to them, right? Meaning that the Messiah that will come as the Antichrist will save you from the things that you need saved from, and you will be desperate for a Messiah, right? And it's easy to say, I'll never go to any Messiah other than Jesus. Well, that's easy to say until you're broke, Anybody that's ever been broke? Nobody. Right? Like you don't have any money and you can't provide for your, fi- your family and somebody comes and says, you know what I could do for you? I'd give you some money. Your family's starving. Things aren't going good. I could relieve all the stress of your family. Here's some money. Right? Anybody ever have a loved one that's dying and somebody comes up to you and says, you know what? I could fix it. And you know what's going to happen? There's going to be signs and wonders and you know what he is going to do? He's going to fix it. People are going to be healed. Right? So you can say, oh, nobody's going to follow a false Messiah until he becomes yours. Right? And then all of a sudden you're going to be like, oh, it's exactly what I needed. And so part of our training in all of this that we talked about last week is, is that we need to teach our children and we need to teach our churches, this is the true Messiah. This is a false narrative of the cultural Messiah. Don't follow a cultural Messiah. Jesus came to do one thing, reestablish a relationship with God so that you could have right worship and right relationship. That's the only two things. He didn't guarantee you health. He didn't guarantee you wealth. He didn't guarantee you prosperity. He didn't guarantee you that you wouldn't have any pain. He only said this, for most of your life, you've had wrong worship and wrong relationships. I can fix that. By having a relationship with me, we can fix wrong worship and wrong relationships, and we can make it right. The rest of the world's deteriorating, and things aren't going good, but you can make, if you stand on this and don't get led astray, you can make it to the end, right? That's the true Messiah. Don't go to a church. Don't listen to a podcast. Don't listen to a pastor that promises you a Messiah that's not in Scripture, Right? Don't listen to people that are trying to promise you something that Jesus never promised you. Because if you live with that or don't teach your kids that, because someday when the end is near and these things are happening, many people are going to be led astray because nobody ever said them right. Okay? So the Antichrist. So parallels right along with it. Then he goes on and he says, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. So now the next horse, the red horse, brings war, right? So lots of war is going to be happening. A lot of, you know, unrest in the world is going to be happening. A lot of, you know, uh, people are going to be fighting against people. Again, a parallel of Revelation 6. Then he goes on and he says, in the rest of that uh, scripture, he says, then there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of these are the beginning of the birth pains. Revelation 6, the third horse was the black horse, which brings famine, right? So Jesus is paralleling it, saying, you know, there's going to be an antichrist, there's going to be war, and then because of war and the things that are going on in the world, you're going to see famine like you've never seen it before. So again, signs of the end of the age, just falling right along with Revelation 6. Then he goes on and he says... Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. And at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increased wickedness, the love 
of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then, and then the end will come. So he says the next thing to happen after the four horse apocalypse is you're going to see religious persecution. Now, I want to make sure that we see this in the right way, because I think that you can get a picture of this even today. Religious persecution isn't going to be the nation of Islam Islam against Christianity, okay? I just want to make sure that we understand this. True Christians are going to be seen as radicals to people who call themselves Christians. And you're going to be hated because of your belief in the Bible. Anybody? Because this is happening today, right? Like if you take a stance, this is what the Bible says about this thing that's going into the world and you put it out on social media, how are you viewed? As a radical and a hater. True? And all you're saying is this is what scripture says, right? We're not saying it in a way to say we hate anybody. We're just saying the truth of scripture just says this, but how you are viewed and it's not just by the world. Anybody that's ever had this happen to them? This isn't just from the world. You know who it's from? The church. The church who believes in unity above truth. Anybody? Right? Like this is happening, and this is all I'm trying to tell you, is is that this might seem far off because we think that all of this persecution is going to come and you're going to be hated by other religions. No, you're going to be hated by the person sitting next to you today. Well, maybe not that person. Everybody's kind of looking. I guess I'm saying in a whole, you're going to be hated by the church. When you take a stand and you say, you know what, this is what the Bible says and I'm not budging and my family's not budging, you are going to be looked at by the church as a radical and you're going to be hated by the church and you're going to be persecuted by the church in the name of God. So I'm just telling you, be ready. And this is why I've always said, like, people have kind of shied away from just taking a stand on anything today because everybody's crazy. You know what I mean? Like, you can't take a stand on anything and everybody's like, thinks you're a whack job or they're a whack job. And then just goes back and forth, like, telling each other you're whack jobs, right? I'm just saying, here's what I want to condition you to do. Stand on the truth today when your life isn't at stake because when your life's at stake, if you've been doing this over time, it'll be easy. But if you're not going to stand on nothing now when your life's at stake, you won't stand on anything then. You're just not. It's okay that people hate you. If you're going to be put in a leadership position and if you're going to take a stand on what Scripture says, he already says the world's going to hate you. So why were you surprised? Right? Why were you surprised when you said, because again, now there are some people that take it the wrong way and they, you know, they say things out of hate, but if we're just saying things out of love, like this is what scripture says, this is what we're going to stand on, this is what we're going to believe, this is how we're going to you know, run our church, these are things, that world is going to hate you. Right? So be used to it because when we get to this point, it's going to be way worse. And the problem is, are you ready? Because if you conditioned yourself to just keep rolling over, you know what I think you're going to do? And you know what your kids are going to do? Roll over. You know why? Because they watched you. Right? They're just going to watch you do it. Right? And they're going to be like, you know, whether you like or believe this, kids are watching. <laughs> you know? And so we got we to learn religious persecution is going to, you know, happen. And he just says, 
you know, you're going to be hated by all the nations. And people are going to turn away from the faith and they will betray and hate one another, right? And it says, not a few will grow cold. Most will grow cold. It's because we're living in a culture today that I'm not sure you're ready for the persecution because every time that it's come up when it's easy, we just roll over. So we need to be prepared. We need to be ready. We need to take a stand for what we believe and what the Bible says because it shows us again of the things that we need to get ready, parallel to what it said in uh, Revelation 6. And it goes on and says, when you see, this is verse 15, so when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand and let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one uh, on the housetops go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. For, when, for then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. Verse 22, if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. And for the sake, uh, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. So this is this whole natural calamity, right? So the world is going to be as bad as you've ever seen it. Right, So as bad as you can, so this is important to get this picture in your mind. The picture that you need to get in your mind is all of the craziness that you've seen in the world, you've never seen what's getting ready to happen. You've never seen the type of distress. You've never seen the calamity that's going to happen. You've never, never witnessed by the world ever and never to be witnessed again. Like that's how bad it's going to be now. Important that we get that because, again, that parallels all of what is said in Revelation 6. And then this is what he says. Again, he goes back to it because he wants to remind you. Part of the reason that it's easy for people to be deceived, okay? Because can you imagine how bad the world is? You might not have needed a Messiah six and a half years ago, but how many people are going to need one today at the end of this? The worst time the world has ever seen. Who's going to be looking for one? Everybody, right? And so you know what he says? This is what he says in verse 23. At that time, meaning during this time where it's that bad, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, because that's what they're going to be telling you. Everybody's going to be looking, and you know the way they get you deceived? You know the way to support the Antichrist? Look, there he is, right? They're going to point you to what you need, move you towards that Messiah, give you what you need. He says, or... Um, there he is. Do not believe it, for false messiahs and false prophets will appear. And here's what they're going to do. Like, don't forget this. They're going to perform what? Great signs and wonders. This is why I try to tell people. So listen up, okay? If your faith, and I've always said this about churches that get way too out, of, out on this. If your faith depends on signs and wonders, right, at some point, if your faith of seeing God move is dependent on signs and wonders, then you're going to be easily deceived because you're always going to be looking for, and guess who's going to be performing them at that time? Yeah, the Antichrist. Satan is going to be performing, the Antichrist is going to be performing those things. And so this is what I've always said, like, Yes, we're praying for signs, we're praying for wonders, but do you know what the Bible says? Blessed is the one who believes without, what? 
Blessed is the one who believes without signs and wonders, right? Blessed is the one who's gonna say, I'm still gonna have faith even though if you don't heal, right? Because we believe that he will, we believe that he can, we believe that he is a, a God of miracles, we're gonna pray for all those things, but we're still going to believe even though he doesn't because our faith isn't dependent upon signs and wonders, right? We believe him, we're praying for him, but our faith isn't dependent on it, right? So he says that, that in this time, people are gonna be led astray because you know how many people are gonna to wanna to get healed? You know how many people are gonna need food? You know how many people are gonna have people in jail? You know how many people are gonna be suffering at this time? Everybody's gonna be looking and here shows somebody up is gonna be like, I gotcha, right? I give you everything that you need and many people will be deceived inside of that. So he brings it back up again says, if possible, even the elect. Like these things will deceive people, even the elect. See, I've told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you there he is out in the wilderness, don't go out. Here he is in the inner rooms, don't believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will be also. So again, bringing back up that the Antichrist will be deceiving. Now he goes into the ending of all of this time where he says, immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all of the people of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with the power of great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from the end of the heavens to the other. Now learn this lesson from a fig tree. As soon as the twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all of these things, you will know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will uh, certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Again, he talks about this second coming or the rapture, the time when people will be taken up or people that would be gathered together. Now he brings it to this transition period. So now he's starting to, this is the parallel of Revelation 6. Right? So here's all of the signs of the end of the age. Now he starts to paint a picture of what do you do? Right? How should we react? What should we be looking for? So he goes back, and this is what he says in verse 36. But about the day and the hour that no one knows, uh, about the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So again, he's saying, anybody that's predicting the end of the time, so anybody that's got a date, you can just not believe them because they don't know, right? Like anybody that's saying, I know the date of the end of the, uh, the age, they don't know because it says very clearly that only the Father knows. Now, he starts painting this picture of what things are going to look like. He says in verse 37, as it is in the days of Noah, so it'll be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving into marriage, up to the day where Noah entered the ark, they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. Okay, now think about this. In the time of Noah, when he was building the ark, did Noah tell him why he was building an ark? Yeah, I'm, I'm building an ark because there's a flood coming. And you know what everybody out there is saying? I ain't never seen a flood. I've never seen rain. You're a nut job, 
maybe what you think of me, right? Like I'm up here telling you the end of time's coming, right? No, but think about this. Here's Noah saying, there is going to be a flood. I'm building this ark. So it wasn't that the people didn't hear it, right, from his mouth. They just didn't listen. Why? Because it seems so far off. They never seen rain, let alone a flood. And so he parallels that to, so it is right now, right? So it is just like it was then. There are going to be people, this is what he says next. You know, he says in uh, verse 39, so they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. This is how it'll be in the coming of the son of man, right? So he paints this picture. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken and one will be left. This is what he's saying. He's painting this picture. There are going to be two people who identify the same way, who heard the same message, and one of them is going to be left behind. Do you see that? Is that? Because this is important, right? Because these are two people standing in a field, identified as a farmer, heard the same message. When Jesus comes back, one of them is going to be taken and one's going to be left. Two women standing at a mill, grinding. One is going to be taken and one will be left, but they identified as the same thing. The picture that he's painting is there are going to be Christian people who heard the same message, standing in the same field, standing at the same church, sitting in the same places. One was going to be taken and one is going to be left. What's the difference? Because they both heard it, right? What's going to be the difference of those people? Do you see what he's trying to set up? Do you see what he's trying to paint for everybody? Like, if you want to know how you can be the one who's not going to be left, get ready. That's how, right? If you're sitting there saying, like, I don't want to be the person left behind. I don't want to be when the church is raptured that I'm one still sitting in the seat. Well, he's saying there are going to be people who heard this same message. And you know what he knows about the reality of this message? People are going to hear this message and walk away and do nothing about it. And then there are going to be people who heard this message and says, you know what? The end is near. I'm changing the way I live my life. Right? I'm going to walk out of here and say to the best of my ability, I'm going to change to what I'm doing and I'm going to do something about it. And that something about it is where we're sitting there saying, what do I need to do to get ready? How do I know that I'm going to be prepared? How do I go down those roads? And that's what he gives us next. Right? Like we need to get to the place of how is it that we get ready? Because the funny part of it is, is like last week, so I left last week's message and I grabbed my phone and I went to leave and I saw a text message from Brady. So Brady texts me, he's like, hey dad, listen to your message. I went out and got gutting knives and canning supplies. I think I'm ready. And I'm like, <laughs> hmm. I'm like, wow. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I thought the message worked, but maybe it didn't work, right? Like what, what we need to be able to do to get ready. I mean, he's kidding and not kidding at the same time, right? Like we all walk away from it like, I need to do something to get ready. What is it that I should do to get ready? Well, that's where he starts to talk about it next in verse 42. He says, therefore, keep watch. Now remember, Therefore should always be circled in your Bible. Therefore should always be highlighted in your Bible. This is why. All of the message that was before that given to you, therefore, or so that you will do something about it. That's why therefore is in it. So anytime you're reading your Bible and you see therefore, you should circle it and you should go back up and say, what were they just saying? I need to understand this because now based upon what I understand, I need to do something about it. 
Okay, so he says, now that you know the signs of the end of the age, now that you know that the end is near, now that you know that we should all be prepared, what should we do? He says, therefore, keep watch. That's his first thing. And he paints this picture for us. How do we keep watch? He says, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at the time of night that the thief was coming, he would have kept watch so that you had not so that you would not have let this house be broken into. So also must you be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So he gives us this first picture. You want to know how to be ready? The first thing you need to do is keep watch, right? Like you need to be alert. You need to understand what's going on. You need to keep, keep your mind focused on the things that matter most. And so he talks about what matters most. And so then he uses this analogy of a house, right? So he gives you this picture, like, almost like, hey, dummy. You know what I mean? Like, you ever read scripture and you're like, hey, dummy? Like, this is a hey, dummy moment. Like, hey, dummy, if you know somebody's coming to break into your house and kill your family and steal everything that you have, I doubt that you're going to be at the bar with your buddies drinking beer. Isn't that a hey, dummy moment, right? Like, you're not going to be out when you know the thief is coming, Right? No normal person, when he knows somebody's coming to break into his house, doesn't stand there and guard and keep watch, right? Every normal human being who cares about his family or cares about his home is going to keep watch if he knows the thief is coming, right? So he paints this picture. So I want to go into depth. So what does it mean to keep watch of your house, okay? I want to start with this. First of all, it's you individually. What are you doing in your house, you spiritually, to keep watch and be ready and to keep the thief from breaking in? What are you doing? How are you preparing yourself? How are you making it so that, because here's what I know, if you're preparing yourself right, the Holy Spirit will tell you the thief is coming, you need to get home. The thief is coming into your house, you need to be ready. That's the way it works, right? When your house is ready, right? When you're in tune with the relationship with the Holy Spirit, when you're in this place, here's what you know, right? When your house is ready, the Holy Spirit gives us the warnings, right? The Holy Spirit tells us, like, be aware, taps you on the shoulder, hey, he's coming. And we, as the hey dummy moment, are going to be like, I'm ready. <laughs> I'm not leaving my house. I know it's coming. I'm standing here to protect. So we're we on that same page, what you need to do individually. Now I want to go into a bigger, like a deeper part of all of this. And I'm adding this to it, but I think it's important because I think scripture talks about this in a whole. So it's not just about you. It's about your house and your responsibility, okay? So fathers, you have a responsibility to your house, which is your wife and your kids, period. When you stand in front of Jesus Christ, you can try to ignore this, but you know what you're held accountable for before anything else in the world? The spiritual development and opportunity of your wife and your kids, period. You can go out and try to reach the west of the world. You can go out and try to do a lot of other things, but you know what you're held accountable for in front of Jesus Christ? That, right? And I think, men, if you're like me, Sometimes we forget that we should be taking care of our house because we find our identity somewhere outside of our house in our jobs or making money or doing other things, right? 
No other guy? Can a few guys agree with me? Right? Like we go out there and we find our identity and we leave our home abandoned for the thief to come in. And then we come back and we're like, what the hell happened? Sorry, I think I was supposed to say hell. What the heck happened? Right? To tell me this doesn't happen. Does this happen? You come back and you're like, what? what just happened to my house? You know what happened to your house? You abandoned it. You know what happened to your wife? You abandoned her. You know what happened to your kids? You abandoned them. Why? Right? Because you forgot the thief was coming to steal, kill, and destroy. And the first place he starts is your home. Because he knows if he can destroy the home, he can destroy the family. Men, it is your responsibility to guard the house. It is your responsibility to stand in the gap. No man worth his salt knows that somebody's coming in to break into his house and go somewhere else and leaves it unguarded. Right? Guys, we got, we got a responsibility. Don't walk away from our responsibility to guard the house that God gave us to guard. Right? We're not responsible for the outcome. Like We don't know how it's going to turn out with our kids. We don't know how it's going to turn out with our wife. But we can guarantee you this. We are going to be on guard. We're going to be present. We're going to be where we need to be. We're going to be to the best of our ability, give every opportunity possible for the thief never to come in these doors. Right? Because I'm going to be there guarding the doors. The same thing. Wives, you have a responsibility to your husband. You know, and part of your responsibility to your husband and your children, right? Like, you're going to be held accountable for that, right? It says this in Scripture, right? And this is the hardest thing. Like, I know this. Like, part of the responsibility of a wife is to say, did you help your husband become the best thing that God had for him, right? To make him the best thing that you need to be and, and provide every opportunity for him to be able to be on guard. Because I know how it works in a family, right? I just know this from personal experience, you know one of the great things about women and one of the worst things about women? Uh-oh. <laughs> you know one of the greatest things about women is they're really good when they're in control. They're good at it, right? You know one of the worst things about women is they always want to be in control. Right? You want your husband to lead? Let go of some control. No guy, every guy's gone. <laughs> they want to go, amen, come on, preach that. But their wife's sitting beside them and they're like, I ain't saying it, I ain't saying it. But isn't it true? Because you know what, sometimes wives look and they're like, we need to get this right. My husband isn't doing, I need to step up, I need to do, and they're good at it. And the men just kind of sit back, well, that was easy. Just be an apathetic, lazy man and every, my wife just steps up and does whatever, takes the responsibility. Right? Why well, you have a responsibility to your children and to your home and to that? And it's hard and it's difficult, but you gotta protect your house. You gotta have these conversations. You gotta talk through these things. Because if we know that the greatest thing that Satan wants to do is to come in and tear your house down, we need to be on guard and we need to be ready. We good with that? Right? Like we gotta be prepared personally, we gotta be able to protect our house. Then he goes on and he says, he starts to keep giving us this mindset. He says in verse 45, who then is a faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of his servants and his household to give them their food at a proper time. So he tells you guard your house and then he says you're gonna have to change your mind. 
And here's what you're gonna have to change. We live in a world of ownership and scarcity, right? We own everything and we're afraid it's all gonna go away. So you live as if you're an owner and you live as if it's all gonna go away at some time. And I think this has changed a lot. I thought about this this past week. You know, when I was a kid, back when I was a kid, you know, and you would ask to go mushroom hunting or you would ask to go hunting on somebody's property, like all of the people who lived around Adams County, it wasn't that big a deal. Like, sure, you know, you go rabbit hunting, sure, you can go in my woods, or sure, you can go mushroom. That ain't today, right? People are like, you ain't walking on my land. You ain't coming on my land. You know, I hunt, I'm at least this land. You come on my land, I'm going to shoot you. You come on my, right? Yes, right? Because all of a sudden, right, we got to protect our land. We got to protect what we finally got and we wouldn't want it to go away. And fights ensue and families and people all over this idea that you're an owner and it might go away and you're scared, right? We live in a culture today of ownership and scarcity. And so we make all of our decisions out of ownership and scarcity, right? And we make those decisions selfishly he says, you want to know if you're ready? You want to know how to be ready? This is what he tells you. Live with a stewardship mindset, right? And live as if you are a servant to be a servant. Do you see how he does that? No? You see what he says, right? Like, here's the mindset that needs to shift. You're a servant, right? And what do servants do? They give food to other people at the right time, right? You know how you can do that and you can do it well? Get ready, here's how you get ready. Nothing belongs to me, it's all God's, and it's given to me to do what? Give to other people. Servant, right? You don't live with a scarcity mindset. You don't worry about giving it away. You don't worry about letting other people use it because your mindset is, hey, it's not mine to begin with. I'm a steward of God's things, and so what am I supposed to be doing during this time to get ready? Use my things to serve other people. That's pretty simple, isn't it? But how hard is it? Right? How many of us are just like, I can't give it away. It might go away and I don't know. And right? Like we just live with this mindset. And he's just saying, if you would just do this, if you just live the rest of your life, like everything that you've been given is God's and he wants you to use it to give to other people. Guess what? You know what's going to happen? You're ready. You're ready. Right? That's what he says. A wise servant does these things, and he's going to operate in this way. And then he goes on and says, it'll be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will be put him in charge of all his possessions. What is that person going to be doing when he comes back? Understanding that it's not yours, serving other people, and it's just going to be something that you do very naturally. right? And he's going to find you doing it giving food to people at the proper time and, you know, operating out of this, you know, mindset that nothing belongs to me and I'm going to give it all to God. Like, it's just going to be a part of my natural nature. And so here's one of the things I want to tell you. It's not natural. You know what you naturally are? Selfish. So you know what you have to do? Like, here's what I'm going to tell you. Here's what you're going to find out here really quick. Until you do something unnatural, you will always be naturally selfish. Do I need to say that again? You hear what I'm saying, right? Like, if you don't do something unnatural, the natural operation of your day will be, it's mine, I need to protect it, it's all about me, I'm going to do it, and I'm gonna do it in my way. 
unless you do something unnatural, which is to wake up every day and remind yourself it's not yours. And not only remind yourself, do something that shows that it's not yours. That makes sense, right? Like you gotta go down that road. You gotta be able to do something unnatural. Because I wanna give you this picture. But, this is verse 48. But suppose that that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master's away, my master's staying away a long time. And then he begins to beat his fellow servants, eat, drink, and, and drink with the drunkards. You know what the, the picture is, right? So now he's giving you this picture of, here's this other person who doesn't get that mindset. You know who, who beats their servants? Who, you know who treats people that way? is people who think other people are there to help you get what you want. That's what selfish people do, right? Selfish people are like, and I've always said this, you know, I talked to Sarah about this the other day, like one of the greatest problems with me is this, like I don't really trust very many people. You know why I don't trust very many people? Because I have watched people live in that mindset. I only need you why I need you, and when I'm done with you, I'm done with you. And you know where that happened the most? Not outside in the business world. You know where that happened the most? In the church. I only need you, and when you can't meet my needs and give me what I need, and when I can't have your full attention, you aren't worth anything, right? And you know why people get like that? It's because they're living this selfish mindset that would say, well, it's all about me. Right, that it's all about me and that, that I'm gonna treat people badly when I don't get what I need, right? Do you see that? Right? The only way that you would treat people that way is if you see people as pawns to get what you want and when you can't get what you want anymore out of them, then you just beat them and move them on, right? And the only people that are out there drinking and just having a good time are the people that are selfishly saying, I don't need to be a steward, I don't need to do any of these things. I'm just gonna go out and do whatever I wanna do. Eat, drink, be merry, go through the day, right? That, that's what he's saying. And here's what I want you to get. Don't miss this, right? The worship team's gonna come back up, but I want you to hear this. Because there is the wise servant who will be found doing the bidding of what God tells him to do. Living with open hands, serving other people, but then there also be people who heard the same message, who walk out of this room living the same way. It's all mine. I'm gonna use people to get what I want and I'm gonna keep doing my own thing. I'm gonna eat, drink, be merry, and I'm gonna live my own life. Like there's gonna be people. So he already gives us a picture of what's gonna happen to the person that's living that way and who is ready, right? He says, I'm gonna put you in charge of many possessions and you're gonna be with me forever. And like he gives this beautiful picture of a person that he kind of, back finding ready right now he doesn't mince words with people who aren't ready okay because listen to what he says next this is verse 50 the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour when he's not aware he will cut them into pieces and assign him a place with hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth now you can't read into that one. What's gonna to happen to the person, and again, I want you to hear this. This isn't talking about the person who is an ax murderer. This isn't talking about a child molester. This isn't talking, you know what I mean? Like, we would expect God to say to the person who is all of those things, cut them into pieces and throw them into hell, they deserve it. 
right? Like that's kind of how your mind works. Like if people are bad enough, that's, that's a good message for the bad people. But you know who he's saying it to? To the selfish people who live the rest of their life. Not being a wise servant and living as if it is his. And they're not ready. And you know how many people that's going to be, unfortunately? Do you know how many, like we saw this before, you know how many people it's going to be? Many. Many. I'm just telling you, the reason it's going to be many is when we walk out of this room, you know how hard it is to live that life as if nothing is yours? You know how hard it is to live a life of stewardship? You know how hard it is to invest your lives into other people even when you don't get any reciprocation of investment? Because that's what ministry is, right? Ministry is investing into lives of people. You never know how it's going to turn out. You never know how it's going to go. And sometimes you get nothing back in return. You know how hard it is to do that? Hard. But let me tell you, the reward is worth the sacrifice. And I tell you this for a couple different reasons. Parents, listen to me for just a second. Our children need an example. And they're not getting it from the world. They're not. They need an example of what it looks like to be a man of God what it looks like to be a woman of God, what it looks like to live with open hands, what it looks like to serve other people. They need an example. It should be us, our responsibility in our house, in our church, to be an example. We don't know how it's all gonna turn out, but we should be the example, right? We don't want them to get to the place where they're not ready. We know what happens to those who are not ready. They're cut into pieces into, and put into a place where they will suffer eternity in a place called hell. None of us want those things. So what will you do and how will you sacrifice to be an example? And ask yourself this question, am I ready? Will he find me doing those things? Will I teach my children and the people around me how to do those things? Will I be an example to the world of what that looks like? So will you stand so I can pray for you? So Heavenly Father, we are thankful that um, sometimes it's hard to hear, you know, that we see these signs and we, we understand what they say, but sometimes it's really difficult to Make sure that we're ready, like, because we know the great sacrifice that comes with living abnormally in the world that we're in today. But Lord, I pray that we will have the strength to live a life with open hands, as a servant to people, one that will show and give an example of what it means to take care of our house personally and the people around us that will give that example. That we're not gonna give Satan an inch that our friends and our family and the people around us, they're gonna know they're not gonna be deceived and we will be together someday in eternity. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray, amen.
shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. Snowball you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. No shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. the 99 I couldn't earn it 
You know what I love about that song is, is that you can sit back here and say, you know, I love the reckless love of God, but you know what I love most about it is that he will climb mountains and kick down doors to get to you, right? That it's whatever it's going to take for us to be ready, he's going to get it done and his reckless love is gonna pursue and no mountain and no lies or no things that we have in our world today that he's not willing to overcome. I love that we serve a God that's kicking down doors and that's coming and telling us like, get ready, be prepared, the end is near and you can make a difference. So again, thanks everybody for being here at our main campus. Thanks for joining us online and we'll see you guys next week.